Our scripture reading today is from the second chapter of the letter to the Colossians. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Watch out that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by the removal of the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food or drink or of observing festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the body belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, initiatory visions, puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental principles of the world, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. You may be seated. And everybody is seated. <laughs> All right, thank you, Marcia, and thank you, worship team. Appreciate you guys. Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to see you all here. Uh, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. If you are a first-time guest, I want to offer you a special welcome. Thank you for joining us. And if you're uh, worshiping with us online, I want to offer you a welcome as well. Glad that you're here. Well, today we are continuing our teaching series in Colossians. Uh, we're taking a little bit of a break from how we kind of typically approach Scripture and how we typically preach. We're taking six weeks, and we're just diving in real deep into one, this little book in the Bible, uh, the letter to the Colossian church. And every week we're just kind of reflecting on how to read scripture and we're kind of applying it to Colossians. So if you can do me a favor, if you don't have your Bible with you, go ahead and grab a Bible from the chair in front of you, the little little thing, I don't know what you call that, little compartment down there. Uh, you can grab one of the Bibles and we're gonna be in Colossians. That's at the end, near the end of uh, the Bible. So mine, it looks a little bit like this. It's right at the very end. And it is page 155 in the New Testament. And this morning, I again forgot to look at that number uh, before first service, and I guessed 155, and I saw a lady out there go. So I know that it's 155. I had it confirmed, confirmed this morning. Uh, so we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. Just as a brief review as you're finding Colossians, 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 through 2, 5 is what we looked at the last two weeks, and that's all one long introduction into the book of Colossians. Paul lays down the foundation of some of the major things he's going to talk about. And if you remember the last couple weeks, there are uh, about three really important things that Paul wants to, uh, for us to understand as those who are hearing this letter and reading this letter. They're found in verses 9 and 10 and 13 and 14 in chapter 1. Verses 9 and 10 are kind of his purpose statement, and it's a prayer that he's praying, and he says that he uh, wants, he desires, he prays to God that the Colossians, and therefore us as well, would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and bear fruit of good works. To know God's will and to bear fruit. And if you jump down to verses 13 and 14, we get a little insight into what God's will is. And it talks about this proclamation that God in Jesus Christ has transferred us or pulled us out of the domain or authority or the kingdom of darkness, and he has transferred us or placed us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And if you remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about that phrase, that beloved son connects us to Jesus' baptism. It's the only time that Paul uses that phrase, beloved son. And so he's trying to invoke in us, evoke in us the remembrance of Jesus' baptism, where the father says, this is my son, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. It's the same phrase, same word there. So we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness. God has brought us from the kingdom of darkness, and in Jesus Christ has placed us in this new kingdom. And the rest of chapter one is this great hymn that he talks about, and then it's kind of a little bit more in-depth on what exactly it is that uh, it means to know God's will and what it means to bear fruit. We talk about maturity and having assurance of the full knowledge of Jesus Christ, unity and love and those kinds of things. We get a little insight, but it's still all groundwork. Until we get to chapter two, verse six, which is where Paul gets to the meat of this uh, book. This is when he really gets into the ins and outs of how all these things apply to what's going on in the Colossian church, and we get some really good, rich stuff in these next uh, couple verses. So just a quick rundown. Uh, I think I've told you guys, to kind of coached you guys on how to break up. As you're reading your Bible, you can mark it up. Uh, feel free to, if you don't have a Bible at home, to take the Bible in your hands with you. And so you, I, you have my permission to write with pen in it and all that kind of stuff as long as you take it home with you. So as we head into chapter 2, verses 6 through the end of the chapter, uh, we can break it down into three main arguments, okay? So here's what I want you to do. Verses 6 through 15, I want you to take a, your pencil or pen, or if you have notes on your, on your app, you know, on your phone, just put a little one next to that. That's kind of the first argument that Paul makes. And then we go from 16 through 19. That's the second argument. Put a little two there. And then we have uh, 20 through the end of chapter 2, and that's his third argument. He addresses three big issues that are going on, and we're going to walk through and break those down here. He begins chapter 2, he begins his argument with this phrase in verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So here's a nice little introduction. We know that here he says, as you therefore, in verse six. So whenever you see a therefore, 
The little trick is you have to ask what that therefore is there for. What comes before it? Why is he saying therefore here? So we know this is a switch for Paul. He's beginning to talk about the issues at hand. Therefore, as you have received Jesus Christ, all this first chapter work, this groundwork he lays about the work of Jesus, the purpose of God's will, all these things, as you therefore have received this, continue to live your lives in him. And he uses this phrase rooted, rooted. Now, this is an image that sounds very similar to bearing fruit. It's an agricultural image, right? So when we see a repetition of this kind of stuff, it should pique our attention. And you can highlight it or circle it. And then maybe just put one ver- or chapter 1, verse 10 beside it. Right? He's kind of reusing similar images here. So he's talking about being rooted deeply and built up in Jesus and established in this faith. So he says, as you have received Jesus, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up. I just want to take one moment here for verse 6, because this is my favorite verse in the Bible. Colossians 2, verse 6. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him. So we're going to dive a little bit deeply, just because there's something really beautiful here that we have to go about four levels deep to understand a little bit of a nuance here. So in the New Revised Standard Version that's in your hands, it says this, continue to live your lives in him. Depending on what version of the scripture you read, what translation you read, the New International Version, uh, the New Living Translation, those all, all different translations of the same Greek letter that we have, and they may say different things. Some translations may say, continue to walk in him, or continue to walk in the way that you have received Jesus. There's going to be some changes, and it's helpful for us to read other translations of the Bible, because the scriptures are kind of like a diamond. And as you read different translations, you kind of see different aspects of the diamond. And you can kind of understand different ways that the words are used, because when we have a Greek word translated to English, we can't get the entire meaning when we translate it. Just like if we try to translate an English word into Greek, there probably wouldn't be an exact equivalent. So I'm going to help you out today. I'm going to make you seem super cool and hip and rad when you go to your cookouts today, okay? So as you're with your family and friends today, the Greek word here for continue to live your lives in is the word peripateo. Peripateo. It's a Greek word that literally means to walk, peri, pateo, around. So literally, this word means to walk in a circle. That's what the word actually like, like literally means. So now when you're at your cookout today, you can say, well, did you know that peripateo means to walk in a circle and everyone will know that you're a dork, okay? So you can, you can do that this afternoon. So the phrase here, continue to live your lives in him, This is the right sense of the word. So in the Greek world, this was a pretty normal way of using the phrase peripateo, is that if someone knew something or was being taught something or was was going down a path of learning, you would typically use this word peripateo to talk about them walking in the teaching they learned. It means to live out what you know. That's simply what what it means. It was a word that was very, very common It's used multiple times in the scripture. It's used lots of times in philosophy, and it's used lots of times in other documents we have from this time period in Greek. It's a very normal word for that time. It's just a phrase. It would be like, um, I don't know, you know kind of how we say like it's raining cats and dogs, right? It just means it's raining hard. That's kind of what they use peripateo 
the mean. Now, the interesting thing here, and this is where we get really, this is how you know that I'm a dork. This is how you know that I'm a nerd, is that if you go a couple levels deep, the Old Testament has a translation. It's originally in the Hebrew. It was translated into Greek. We call this Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. You don't have to remember any, about any of this, okay? Just put it in the back of your head, all right? We have this Greek translation of the Old Testament, and that's what Paul quotes in the New Testament. He quotes the Greek version of the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, that word peripateo is used to talk about what an invading army does when it takes over a land and then settles the land. So an army invades a land, and then they begin to peripateo, to walk around the land, and they move into the neighborhood. That's what the word is used in the Old Testament. So I don't know if Paul meant, I don't know if he was like referencing this, but as we read through Colossians, we think back to that verse 13 and 14 of chapter one, where he says, God in Christ Jesus has pulled us or transferred us from the dominion or the kingdom of darkness and placed us or planted us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And then here Paul is saying, as you have received Jesus Christ, inhabit, settle in, move into the neighborhood of Jesus, move into the kingdom. It's almost as if Paul is talking that we have moved into this new country. We've been brought in, we've been welcomed in, and we are new citizens of this new place. And he says, walk around it. Learn its contours. Dig up the soil. Plant things. Learn about this new world that you're inhabiting. As you have received Jesus Christ, inhabit him. Live in Jesus. Dwell in Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Move into the neighborhood and settle in. And so it evokes this image of, just like in this area, people moving into this land, settling in, creating farms and homes and families, and here we are, 150 to 200 years later, and we're settled in, aren't we? This is the invitation of Colossians chapter 2. As you hear the proclaimed word of God over you, as you hear the words of forgiveness over you, you have to learn how to inhabit that. It's not natural for us. We have to learn what it means to live life under God's grace. We'll find out why here in just a couple minutes, just a couple verses down the road. We'll hear why it's so hard for us to learn what it means to live in Jesus. But isn't that beautiful? Chapter 2, verse 6. I love it. That was an extra deep dive into that verse just because it's my favorite, and I think it's worth knowing. As you have received Jesus, inhabit him. Live in him. Move into the neighborhood. So let's continue on to verse 8. This is where Paul really begins to dig deep into this first issue that we see here. And this is what it says. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit. This is where we're talking about the knowledge of God's will, okay? So this is under that category from chapter one. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh and the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him in baptism. You were also raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him 
from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands, setting this aside and nailing it to the cross. So the first major issue that Paul begins to deal with, we don't know exactly what's going on in the background here, but we can kind of assume from these three arguments that there are some Jewish Christians who are participating in and worshiping with the Colossians. Now, the Colossian Christians were Gentiles. The primary group that came to know Christ, that inherited Christ this way, were Gentiles. And then we have Jewish believers who then they come together and they are grafted into the body of Christ and we are, they are brought together, Jew and Gentile together. But for some reason, it seems that there may have been some Jewish believers who were telling the Gentile believers, hey, in order to be a Christian, you have to first be a Jew. You have to first follow the old covenant in order to get into the new covenant. And the way that you participated in the old covenant was through circumcision. In the Old Testament, circumcision is the mark, the introduction into the covenant family. This was the kind of umbrella that where God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. The mark that distinguished the Israelites from the rest of the world, that they were God's people, was circumcision. It showed that they were part of the family. And so these Jewish believers were coming in and saying, hey, you also had to be circumcised. And the Gentile Christians were saying, uh, pass, right? Hard pass on that. I don't want to have to go through that if I don't have to. And so Paul here, he's saying that it seems like it makes sense. It's, it's like a philosophy that makes sense, that you have to enter into the new covenant through the old covenant. But Paul says that's not the case. Circumcision is not the way that we enter in to life with Jesus. And in fact, he equates here circumcision with baptism. That baptism is the new circumcision. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision, putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him in baptism. You were also raised with him through faith in the power of God. So Paul here is making very clear that baptism actually shows us that this um, this old way of entering into the covenant community is obsolete. Baptism is the new circumcision. That in fact, when you were baptized, you were buried with Jesus, you were dead, and then you were brought back to life with him. And by faith, then you participate in his life. By faith, you participate in his resurrection power. This is the spiritual circumcision with which the body of believers, this new covenant, this is our entrance into the family of God. This is our entrance into the covenant community, is through baptism. And he continues on here in verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink, or observing festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, of dwelling on visions, puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together 
by its ligaments and sinews grows with a growth that is from God. So this is the second issue going on, that these believers, these Jewish believers are saying, hey, you have to be circumcised. You also have to follow the ceremonial law, the festivals, the new moons, the Sabbath, the way that they practiced it. Here, you also have to do these things. And Paul says, no, no, no. Do not let anybody condemn you on these things. Do not let them tell you you have to do this. Instead, he says here in verse 19, hold fast to Jesus. Hold fast to the head, that is Jesus Christ, from whom the whole body, Jews and Gentiles alike, are held together and nourished in order to grow from a growth that is from God. And he continues in verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, and it seems here that Paul's talking about that there, there's this, um, the biblical understanding of the world is that there are spirits, there are spiritual beings that inhabit our earth that are in rebellion against God, and they are kind of instructing and teaching us in subtle and not so subtle ways uh, to follow these different worldly ways of thinking, these different worldly philosophies. So he's saying here that if you have died by your baptism to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All these regulations refer to things that perish with use. They are simply human commands and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, and severe treatment of the body but they are of no value in checking self-indulgence. So here's the third argument, that these kinds of rules and laws that surround what you can and cannot eat, what you can and cannot drink, these also, they seem to have the appearance of wisdom, but in fact, they're only self-imposed piety. That's all that they are. That they are not from God the same way that the proclamation of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins is. And they indeed have the appearance of wisdom, but they are not the real thing, just as Paul said earlier. They're a shadow. The shadow has been cast, and they were good, and they were right, but now we have the substance, the real thing, Jesus Christ. And we, it is him that we hold fast to. And here's the hard thing that we have to learn now. We see it here in Colossians, we see it in Romans, we see it in Galatians, that the law, as good as it is, the law cannot produce holiness, the holiness that God demands. Rules cannot make us holy and right before God. Only Jesus Christ can do that. That's what he's saying here. Cling to Jesus Christ. Even the best laws, even the laws from God, cannot make us holy. Only proximity to Jesus Christ can. Because we have it all backwards. We think, well, if we only do the right things, if we only say the right things, if we only obey every single command in Scripture, then I'm walking on the path of holiness, and God says, no, no, no. I've already placed you in the kingdom. In baptism, I've already made you a new creature. And so any good thing that you do, any rules that you're able to follow, any righteousness that you have is an overflow, an outflow of what I've done in you. We have it all backwards. We think somehow the rules can make us right, but they can't. It's impotent. It cannot make us holy. Only Jesus can do that, which is why Paul tells us to inhabit. 
inhabit, inhabit. Be close to Jesus. Because then we bear fruit in love. Then we bear fruit in the good works. Then we are empowered to walk in the way of holiness that we weren't able to before. And we live in a world that is filled with law. It's filled with rules. We live in a highly moralistic world. And I know sometimes it doesn't seem that way because the morals and the ethics don't always line up with the Christian morals and ethics. But our world, our society is highly moralistic and highly ethical. There are rules that you have to follow. And if you don't follow them to the T, then you're canceled or you're kicked out of society or you're mistreated or you're made fun of. Right? We have a society that tries to keep us in line and keep us on this very specific way that we have to think, feel, and do. And if we deviate a little bit, we're punished for it. There's law all around us. And we ourselves make laws as well. We make law, we make human uh, performance around politics, around culture, around what we do and do not do, what we say and don't say, what we wear and don't wear. We make all sorts of laws in our hearts and we kind of create this human philosophy, this human tradition. And Paul here is saying, no, none of that makes you holy. Jesus does. Be close to him. Inhabit him. Don't get it mixed around. Don't think that because what you do, what you say, what you do and don't drink, what you do and don't eat makes you right with God. Not how it works. God has rescued us. He has pulled us out. We were hopeless, drowning in the ocean, and he pulled us out of death, and he placed us, he planted us, into his new kingdom, completely his own work. Nothing that we do, nothing that we say, only God did that. And then we get the invitation, the command, to live in this new place God has placed us in, to explore what it means to live life under God's grace. And it's messy and it's uncomfortable because we're living life with other Christians who are just as messed up as we are. And we're all trying to figure out what it means to live in this new kingdom together. But this is the promise that we have already been placed. That we, are, we have died with Jesus Christ and he has brought us back to life with him. And it is by trusting in him and by faith in him that we receive the fruit of the spirit. That we actually see the transformation that he promises that we see the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control. It is by the work of Jesus that these things come out of us, not by our own doing. And so as we live our life, as we abide in Jesus, we look, we look around and we say, okay, here's some peace. And I'm gonna keep cultivating that. I wanna keep trusting in Jesus and cultivating peace in my life. Oh, there's goodness, I see God's goodness there. I wanna keep cultivating that. Let it grow up in my life. That's the vision of the Christian life. Not a bunch of rule followers, but a bunch of transformed people placed in this new kingdom, this new colony, where we receive the grace of Jesus Christ. We are led into holiness by his goodness to us. And rules can't do that. The law can't do that. 
Only Jesus can do that. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, I am so grateful that you have given us Jesus Christ, that you have called us together, that you have made us one, and that, Lord, that you have made us holy. Not by our own doing, not by our will, not by our decision, not by our emotions, not by our dedication or passion, Lord, but only by your will, by your good grace to us. Lord, because we were dead in our trespasses, unable to live a life worthy of your plans, worthy of your will. And it was in that inability, in that impotence, Lord, that you sent your son. So we praise you and we worship you for that. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to see that. Lord, I pray that you would remove human philosophy from our minds and our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help us repent because of your kindness. Lord, I pray that you would make us new because we can't do it ourselves. Lord, we admit that we can't make ourselves peaceful or patient or kind or good or any of the other fruit of the Spirit, Lord, but only you can. So, Lord, I pray that you would continue to make yourself known to us. Give us your Holy Spirit that we may see you at work, that we may bear the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, I pray for um, our leaders, Lord, and our nation. We pray for uh, President Biden and Governor Pritzker, um, our senators and representatives, our local officials. Um, Lord, I lift them up to you, and we ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would guide them and lead them, uh, that you would lead them to justice and rightness and righteousness, Lord. Uh, we pray, Lord, that they would lead well and uh, that we would benefit um, because of their leadership. Lord, I lift up to you uh, our church, our church staff, and our leadership team. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would transform us, uh, that you would make us the ones who lead the way of discipleship, lead the way of transformation. And Lord, it is out of the overflow of our own hearts um, that we may uh, guide and lead uh, this congregation to unity and uh, to worship and to acts of service. Lord, we thank you for the call team and there that you have given them <clears throat> wisdom and guidance, Lord. We thank you for the call to Pastor Drew. We look forward, <coughs> we look forward, Lord, to his, uh, his arrival here. And so, Lord, we ask that you prepare him and his family and that you prepare us as well. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we remember all those who are sick and suffering. We ask you, Lord, that you would deliver them. We ask you, Lord, that you would heal them. Lord, we pray that you would bless your medical professionals, uh, the physicians, the nurses and assistants, and everyone in between, <clears throat> that they would... Uh, that you would do your work of uh, miraculous healing through their hands. And so, Lord, for all those who are sick, we pray for relief. For all those who are suffering from grief, we pray, Lord, that they would grieve well and uh, that they would cling to you and your promises of resurrection. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, at this time, we're